Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. We're joined today by Gerald Auger of Black Eagle Entertainment. Being on the street and how I grew up really, not really having anything in my life, it taught me humility. I remember when I did my, my first film with Bowie and Kaitel, I, I remember telling myself, if I ever come to a point in my life where I think I'm better than anybody, then I think I, I, that's the time I need to take a break. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? My non-Indigenous brothers and sisters that, that I run into in Hollywood and in terms of what I do as well outside of Hollywood, they're actually sometimes quite taken aback thinking, wow, you're so, uh, you're so real, but you're also an anomaly because I'm politically astute. I understand the business aspects of things and also an actor as well, but I'm spiritual, so it's not normal. <laughs> We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me as always is your other host, Fred Keating. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, at the wonderful Jubilee Auditorium, and we'll explain to you the significance of that in a moment. Fred is over on the other side of the Rocky Mountains. He's enjoying the salty sea air today, I would imagine. Fred, tell me why I'm in Alberta today. Marvin, thanks. You you are in Alberta because I'm under the impression that a lot of people in North America don't know how many of the really classic films and television series that they have watched over the years, in fact, took place in Alberta, were shot in Alberta. And I'm talking going back decades uh, to uh, Marilyn Monroe and, uh, in, the, in the 50s and a, a variety of, of big Hollywood films that have taken place and taken advantage of the fact that Alberta can stand in for so many different states and countries. In fact, when they did Silver Streak here uh, some decades ago, Alberta locations stood in for seven different American states from Illinois all the way out to Colorado uh, as the, this Silver Streak train rattled across the uh, the continent. And some other notable movies as well, Fred, like uh, Unforgiven, Brokeback Mountain, even the first Superman episode was shot partially in Calgary, right? Absolutely. Uh, Clint Eastwood and the uh, subsequent success of, of Unforgiven really, I think, redrew the attention of, uh, of Hollywood to the support that they could find in Alberta locations and with Alberta film crews. Alberta was one of the first entities in North America to have a film commissioner put in place whose Specific job, Bill Marsden, God rest his soul, uh, is the fellow who arranged for Clint Eastwood to uh, find himself right at home and be served very well uh, during the uh, the Unforgiven shoot. And the Oscars that followed it got the attention of a lot of uh, other filmmakers who, who came north and did things like Legends in the Fall as well. As and, and Spielberg's uh, miniseries, Into the West, was shot here. And Fargo is currently shooting here, as well as Howl on Wheels. In fact, that's probably a good transition. Tell us about our guest, Fred. 
Well, our guest is a friend and fellow traveler of mine. I've known him for a number of decades. He has had a very, very interesting journey. He's an Alberta native in uh, every sense of the word. Uh, I say that with respect and affection because we're joined today by Gerald Auger of Black Eagle Entertainment. And uh, Gerald, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to meet with Marvin and I today. Well, thank you for having me, uh, Fred, and thank you too as well, Marvin. What I want to do is share with our listeners how a fellow like you from the part of Alberta that you came from, the remote areas of Alberta into the, uh, the denizens of, of Los Angeles, but also made a bit of a globetrotter of you in terms of your acting and writing and producing skills. Uh, and I won't even get into the motivational speaking career yet. I, I want some of the backstory, if you don't mind sharing with us where you came from. Uh, I'm originally from northern Alberta, from a reserve called Big Stone Cree Nation. And in 1995, I did a favor for a friend when they were filming the, uh, the 1995 Canada Winter Games in Grand Prairie, Alberta. And they asked me if I would stand on stage with the elder, because the first time ever they've had the, uh, an indigenous component to the opening and closing ceremonies for the Winter Games. And they wanted a young man to stand on stage with the elder. And they asked me if I would do it. And I said, well, if all I have to do is stand there, then yeah, I have no problem with that. So I did. And then uh, they... Uh, the opening ceremonies were being filmed. A camera came right by me, and an agent happened to be watching TV and hunted me down and said, um, do you ever think of going into the acting modeling business because you have the hair, the face, the look? And I said, um, no, I'm just two months away from graduating from my uh, marketing management. And asked me if I would uh, submit some photos. So I asked one of my profs, to, who was a hobby photographer, did an impromptu photo shoot, sent the photos in. And instead of being at my graduation, I'm in Italy with Harvey Keitel and David Bowie and do shooting my first feature film. So that's where it started. I'd say that's a pretty good start. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. And one of our recurring themes is how often good things come to people who volunteer their time and talent because you never know how that's going to come back to you. My goodness, it came back to you in a wonderful way. Well, yeah, considering that uh, prior to this, uh, I left my uh, home community at the age of 12, and I spent eight years of my life living on the street, coast to coast, making it as far as down south as uh, New York and Seattle, and living on the street for eight years of my life, and I had to make a choice, eight years being out on the street, it was either 25 years behind bars or six feet under, and I decided to, I needed to get a life. So so that's where my life started taking, uh, going 180 and cleaned myself up, went back to school, went back to my culture, my ceremonies, and uh, yeah, one thing led to another. Next thing I know, I'm in uh, Italy with Harvey Keitel and David Bowie. <laughs> and what happened next, Gerald? I got nominated and selected as a national native role model for Canada. And I got to travel the, uh, our beautiful country of Canada for two years. I was only supposed to visit 10 communities while I was the national native role model. I ended up visiting over 38 communities and I actually ran out of time from uh, the request for just keep coming in. And basically the national native role model program was where I got to share my journey uh, to motivate and inspire other indigenous youth about um, 
your dreams if you can build it you can if you can dream it you can build it and you've appeared in quite a number of television series and feature films since then right yeah i started i i've done uh hallmark entertainment's dreamkeeper i did uh dreamworks with uh into the west with spielberg uh, I just returned from Russia shooting uh, a feature film and then did an- another one out of uh, Australia called Lost Face. Uh, yeah, and I've done FUBAR 2, Blackstone, North of 60. I did the whole gamut of it. And Hell on Wheels as well, right? Hell on Wheels was, uh, it was a blast. I loved doing Hell on Wheels. And that Pawnee Killer. He was tough. That was the the character's name <laughs> i was mean but you know what what i found so interesting about pawnee killer was i remember going to i was somewhere i'm not even sure i think it was maybe la i was somewhere in a club i walked in just to go listen to the music and i'm standing and i walk into the club and i see this six foot one guy and i'm walking in and i can see him just looking at me as i'm walking in and i'm thinking oh back of my mind i think oh there's something this could be trouble right so I'm sitting there the whole time, and this guy keeps like look, gunning me down as I'm sitting there. So I finally walked up, and he says, uh, "Is there something I can help you with?" And he said to me, he "said You know what? I have no, I, I, I had no respect for your people, for what your people had gone through in life. But until I, until I seen your character, I have a whole newfound respect for the plight of your people and." what your people have been through because you are Pawnee Killer from Hell on Wheels, he said. <laughs> and they said, ah, yeah, actually I am. So it was interesting how this character of Pawnee Killer has actually uh, opened up a lot of my non-Indigenous brothers' eyes and uh, had come to understand this is kind of what my people have gone through prior to. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. Is this kind of what you had in mind when you got into this career and when you initially started to, to work as a role model? You know, it, it took me a while to really get into, to buy into this whole acting business because um, it's just not, it wasn't something I dreamed of ever going, getting into, but then when it did happen and I figured, well, you know, I could actually get used to this, especially traveling to uh, Italy and getting paid to do it, so... And so when I decided to get into it, then I just kind of put my heart, my soul, and my spirit into it and that. So, But it's, been, it's had its ups and downs uh, as an actor as well. And, uh, and I know when Gibson had offered me uh, Apocalypto, I had just finished doing Spielberg's Into the West. And, I was, and I'm sure, Fred, you may understand this as well, that we go through phases as artists, as actors, and for me, when I did, after I did uh, Dreamkeeper and then I had done um, Into the West, I got to this weird place as an actor saying, I don't want to be doing these period pieces no more. I think we're more than just indigenous people riding a horse, wearing buckskin with a feather in my hair. So I then I told my management then, it says, I don't want to be booking any more of these period pieces. Knowing the creator how I know the creator now, it just Murphy's Law kicks in, right? So and I get this call. I'm I'm in Vancouver, and they said uh, there's a ticket waiting for you at the airport. Uh, Mr. Gibson wants to see you in L.A. for his next film. And to make a long story short, I didn't end up taking the the, the role because I had just finished. I had made that conscious decision. I didn't want to portray. I wanted to uh, kind of deal with the stereotypes of who we are as a people. And shortly after, when I said no to Apocalypto, then Pathfinder came down the road. And I said, I, I told my management, I don't want to be doing any of these period pieces. So 
I had to say no to Pathfinder as well. So, Gerald, before we get too far away from your time on the street, I wonder if I could ask you, what skills did you pick up on the street over those eight years as a youth from 12 to 20 that have either helped or hindered you in making the kind of life decisions you've had to make? And where has that skill set assisted in terms of uh, the the acting or the, the entertainment industry? Well, I guess one of the things that helped me, the skills I had to to adapt when I was on the street was I had to learn to people watch. That was code one in terms of being a, being on the street. You have to be able to be aware, be mindful of what's going on around you and who's around you. So I was able to people watch when I would reflect back when I when the acting came my way. Then I start I started reflecting about what I how I how I used to watch people, and it helped me kind of build these different characters, these different uh, go have a range of emotions at the same time. But it also taught me to be independent. It also taught me to stand on to stand my own ground at the same time. So. But really, it was actually interacting with the people. And it taught me acceptance in so many ways, not only as an actor, but the people I was meeting in the industry as well. So So you're not actually formally trained as an actor, but you might credit your experience on the street in teaching you how to be an actor? Yeah, no, I have no formal training as an actor. I'm all self-taught in terms of the range that I can take my acting skills. It all comes down from my time living on the street and what I experienced growing up as a child at the same time too. So yeah, so it's just more self-taught and just learn by living that learn. So You've spoken about how your time on the street and the skills sharpened there has, has helped you in terms of interacting with, with people because of the constant exposure and uh, reflecting on the people that you'd met or come in contact with. Tell us how those personal interactive skills came into play when you found yourself in in foreign locations like Russia or Italy or Australia? And did you have a chance to get to know people, not just the people around the location that you were shooting in, but was there opportunities uh, down under, for example, to interact with some of the indigenous people down there? It was interesting. Uh, when it was in Russia, they were very, um, they were almost in awe when they actually met me in Russia and I was shooting the film there because to them, they wanted to go back, uh, and this was after I, I actually sat down and started spending time with, uh, with, uh, with the locals in St. Petersburg. A lot of them wanted to get away from the, uh, the mainstream religion that they had been following, and they wanted to go back to their original pagan belief system. And being a spiritual, being indigenous, being spiritual at the same time, it kind of mirrored what it is that they were, that they were wanting for themselves. Being on the street and how I grew up really not really having anything in my life, it taught me humility, and we both know in this industry there, it's always rampant with ego, with pride, with selfishness, and all that. And I figured at that point, I had I remember when I did my my first film with uh, Bowie and Kaitel. I, I remember telling myself, if I ever come to a point in my life where I think I'm better than anybody, then I think I, I, that's the time I need to take a break. I think the hardships I I, I experienced growing up has kept me grounded, has kept me real in the sense of I don't put any airs of who I am to others. And when I meet my fellow human being, I welcome with open, uh, 
with open mind and an open heart. So, no, as Fred and I have talked about many times, I mean, th- this whole business that we're in is, is really a team sport. So how do you feel that that sort of attitude places you in the team in terms of your interpersonal relationships with people? You know, it's actually helped me now lately, especially since I came out of my sabbatical. It's now come to the point where I have a lot of uh, producers and directors asking me to be a consultant with them in a sense because they want to be as authentic as they can be when it comes to our indigenous uh, values, philosophies, and our way of life. Not only am I, I follow my spiritual way of life, but I also understand my, my, my language. And I can speak it. And uh, a lot of the, my non-Indigenous brothers and sisters that, that I run into in Hollywood and in terms of what I do as well outside of Hollywood, they're actually sometimes quite taken aback, thinking, wow, you're so, uh, you're so real, but you're also... You're, you're an anomaly, is what one of them had told me, because not only because I'm politically astute, I understand the business aspects of things, and also an actor as well, but I'm spiritual, so it's kind of, uh, that's not normal. <laughs> Gerald, you mentioned your sabbatical. You were doing very well in the entertainment industry, and then returned to the reserve, reconnected with the elders. Uh, tell us about that and, and uh, the effect or impact that had on you and your work? I guess on my sabbatical that I took a six year, I was kind of forced to be able to take my sabbatical. And I understand now that more after coming out of my on my sabbatical. I went home to visit my home community after being gone for so many years and coming home to seven deaths in seven days of young people. I had to really ask myself then and there, it says, well, what is really going on here? And I asked that of my people in my community, and I asked them, why are we allowing this to happen? Why? I, I, I can't understand this. And they basically said to me, well, this is a way of life, of um, these young people committing suicide, uh, gang affiliation, uh, alcohol, drug abuse, and there's nothing we can do. That's a way of life, they said. So I looked at that, and I wrote an open letter to my home community of Big Stone Cree Nation, and I asked them, kind of outlined what I had, the experiences I've had working with other Indigenous youth throughout the land. And I co- closed off that, that open letter to my community, and I said, I want you to ask yourself this one question, and creator willing, I hope you never have to answer it, but if you were to bury your own child today, would you still accept it as a way of life? And that kind of... Uh, made people sit up and listen. And for me, personally, I was doing, uh, my star was on the rise. It was on the rise in Hollywood when I was uh, going around 2009. But then I was becoming this person where I remember I had told myself that in Italy. I said, if I ever become this arrogant, egotistical person, that's, I think that's the time I will need to step away and walk away from it. And uh, and that's kind of where I was going, and I was buying into the whole Hollywood lifestyle of, uh, you know, living fast and furious at the same time and having no regard for anybody else. And I realized that's not who I want to be remembered as if I was to go home to my creator. So I just, I told myself consciously, said, you're going to get off this train become, before it becomes a train wreck, and uh, you're going to go back and uh, reconnect with your elders and who you were before you got into this uh, whole Hollywood game and uh, and that's when the, for me my um, the elders were calling me back and the spirit world was saying well no you need to take a break this was not why this was given to you so sounds like you've regrounded yourself oh 
if I hadn't regrounded myself, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now because the whole lifestyle was getting very fast, getting very furious and getting involved with the whole alcohol, the drug culture. And I said, that's not who I am. And uh, so I thank my creator every day for uh, giving me the, the strength and the, and, the, and the insight to walk away when I did. So Now that you have regrounded yourself, what's up next? I was forced to do my sabbatical when my, the elders and the spirit world came and said, you, you need to uh, get away from this. They, they said the same thing to me in, uh, then in June of last year. He said, you can go back now. You can go back to what you've been doing because everything that, you've been, that we've taught you in terms of the ceremonies, the culture, the language, who we are as indigenous people, you will now become a bridge for your non-indigenous brothers and sisters throughout humanity and make them understand the true value and sacredness of life, Mother Earth, and really what this journey we call life is really all about. And then go back to the seven sacred teachings of love, courage, humility, respect, bravery, honesty, and truth. So, And this really does apply to all indigenous people around the world, would that be correct? Our, us as indigenous people, from our, to the Maori in New Zealand, to the Aborigines in Australia, our belief system is universal in a sense of uh, when we talk about the creator and honoring the four directions and honoring the land. And uh, the Cree proverb that's been speaking to me lately is where it says, uh, only when the last tree has been cut and the last river has been poisoned, and the last fish has been caught, only then will you realize that money cannot be eaten. So that's been speaking to me coming out of my sabbatical because, um, and I was a part of it, you know, it's just really seeing what a lot of the the waste that's going on in humanity and uh, really coming to terms with that, thinking, I say to myself almost on a daily basis, say, what are we gonna, what are we teaching our children? When Talent Monthly had their 50th anniversary edition for their magazine, which is one of the oldest mag- entertainment magazines in the U.S., they asked me to be uh, uh, to feature if I would if I would be if I would have a problem being featured in their uh, 50th anniversary issue. I said no, I would be honored, and that was basically for on bullying and hate. And they asked me what is my interpretation of bullying and hate. So, so yeah, it's just everything that I've been doing with this sabbatical and coming out of it, and what the the grand uh, the elders and the grandfathers grandmothers from spirit world have been telling me he said this is what you're, this is what you're, you this is what you're meant to do now and that is to lead um, not only our in my indigenous people but also non-indigenous people to understand the uh, the sacredness and the value of life so in fact Gerald what advice would you have for indigenous people or, or non-indigenous people as they consider getting into this kind of career? I love this career in a sense where I get to travel the world, get paid doing and be treated like a rock star. That's a bonus. But at the same time as well, people need to understand that uh, you have to love yourself. People will tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And if you don't have that self-love, if you don't love yourself, chances are you'll end up in rehab or six feet under or... Yeah, it can literally destroy you, and that. So, and I see being involved in Hollywood for the last twenty years. I can see now why a lot of them uh, end up in rehab or just end up never because when the when the fame is fleeting, at the same time, right? So, and when 
I've noticed other stars and friends who, when their stars start falling, they themselves start going down as human beings as well. So, so yeah, you, you got you got to have a thick skin, and how you can have that thick skin is, is by loving yourself. Gerald, your your time and your tales have been very instructive. And and may I ask you, can we get together again and continue this conversation? Because I know when you came back out of the reserve, uh, some some wonderful things happened to you by taking this first step. You uh, opened uh, some quite wonderful doors for yourself as well. Would may we uh, revisit you at some point and and uh, and get a little more detail and a few more stories? Yes, I would love to be able to come back and visit both you and Marvin as well, Fred. Yeah, definitely for sure. Excellent. Thank you very much, Gerald. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.